Hey, we're uh, second week of a series called Hurt. Back in January, I look at the year and kind of plan it out and prayerfully consider what are the things that God might want us to look at over the year. And this was one uh, topic that God put on my heart. And the reason for that is that hurt is something that we all experience. We all have hurts. We all acquire hurts as we go through life. It is part of living in a sinful world. The truth is that uh, whether everybody believes it or not, our, sin is, or our world is marred by sin. And so we live in a world with imperfect people. We encounter imperfect people. We're imperfect people. And so hurt is going to occur. The question is, what do we do about it? How do we process it? How do we heal from it many times? And kind of the tagline to this series is escaping a victim mentality. And that is because a victim mentality is one of those traps that can catch us and keep us stuck. And it will prevent us from moving forward. I heard a message by Tony Evans not long ago. It was probably actually almost a year ago now, but he uh, impressed upon me, kind of um, had this statement that was impactful to me, and, uh, and I think it describes well the situation. He said, you can be a victim. You can be a victim. In fact, as I said, we're all victims in some way. We have been treated unjustly. We've been hurt by others. It is part of our, uh, the reality of our existence. So you can be a victim, but you cannot take on a victim's mentality. And so escaping a victim mentality is really what we want to look at in this series. And last week we looked at hurts that come from spiritual, uh, our spiritual experience. And we looked at how a church hurts, whether they're at, uh, at the hands of something like uh, Joe Bracken who shared his story last week of being a part of Jehovah's Witness and having that experience um, and, and the hurts that came from that, or if it's just, a, uh, just being a part of church in general. I grew up as a pastor's kid, and, um, and listen, you'll pick up hurts along the way, right? It's going to happen. What do we do about it and how do we deal with it? And so this week I want to look at healing from authority hurts. And that is the hurts that come from those who are in authority over us. And if you have a Bible and want to look, we're going to look at the story of a man out of Judges, Judges chapter 13. We're going to look at his life and a, a variety of things about him. But if you want to turn to Judges 13, that's where we'll start. You can follow along on the screen. Um, it'll be up there as well. But I want to look at the story of kind of a famous character from the Bible that you probably heard of. You probably encountered his story. He's famous for his feats of strength and power. And uh, yet we find out about his origins in Judges 13, starting in verse 2. Follow along as I read a couple verses here. It says this, In those days a man named Manorah from, or Manoah from the tribe of Dan lived in the town of Zorah. His wife was unable to become pregnant, and they had no children. The angel of the Lord appeared to Manoah's wife and said, Even though you have been unable to have children, you will soon become pregnant and give birth to a son. So be careful, you must not drink wine or any other alcoholic drink, nor eat any forbidden food. You will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and his hair must never be cut, for he will be dedicated to God as a Nazarite from birth. He will begin to rescue Israel from the Philistines. Of course, the character we're talking about is Samson, and you've probably heard of him, as I said, pretty famous character in the Bible. Samson appears the history of the nation of Israel at a time when they didn't have a specified leader. Uh, Israel had been enslaved in Egypt, if you're familiar with the story, and Moses, God uh, raised up Moses as a leader to lead them out of that captivity. They moved uh, across uh, the Red Sea and into the wilderness, but they were headed for the land of Canaan, which was the land of promise. God had promised the land of Canaan to Abraham, 
who was the father of the Hebrew nation. And so Moses led them out of slavery in Egypt, headed for the promised land. And along the way, the people of Israel did not have the faith to believe that God would give them the land because there were giants in the land. They became fearful of that. And so God led the people of Israel out into the wilderness for 40 years until the generation died off. They didn't have faith. And then he brought them back to the promised land again, this time under a man named Joshua, who was to lead them into the promised land. And they went in and they began to occupy the land under Joshua's leadership. And we see the nation of Israel begin to fill the land that God had promised them. Though they didn't complete that process, they did engage it and they end up settling in the land. And after the death of Joshua comes a time where there was no specified leader. And the people of Israel began to live in sin. They began to move away from the teachings that they had received from Moses under the law. And so they began to live in sin and the peoples around them began to oppress them. And one of those people groups was, is known as the Philistines. The Philistines were a pagan group of people, worshipped false gods, and they oppressed the, the nation of Israel. They had greater military might and technology, and so they were able to um, keep the Israelites under oppression and under their rule. Well, God, at times throughout this history of the Israelites living in sin, living in rebellion, he would provide for them a leader, kind of a savior, if you will, and these individuals were known as judges. And God raised them up to be a person of authority for a period of time to fight against the enemies of God's people, to provide some mercy, if you will, because God had sympathy on his people, though they were living in rebellion. And so this is the context of our uh, story today is that Samson is one of these judges. And he is raised up to be a person of authority to fight against the enemies of God and to provide relief. Samson was selected specifically by God for this role. You'll see in the Bible, oftentimes there's a, a woman or a family who can't have children and God provides them a child and that child has a specific mission and calling. And this is the case in the, sake, uh, uh, in the story of Samson. Again, Samson is an authority figure. And yet, if you know the story of Samson, he was incredibly rebellious. And as I thought about this topic of hurt and hurts from authority figures, I know one thing, because I know my own life, is that rebellion comes because I got an issue with authority, right? That's where rebellion comes from. And so I thought Samson is a rebellious figure. But I wonder if I looked at his story again, if I could figure out maybe some of the reasons why he was so rebellious. You know, the truth is, again, authority figures have some role in our lives. And all of us, I have yet to meet a person that doesn't have some hurts related to a person of authority. And Samson has a unique story here. But as I was coming up, you know, we have teachers and coaches that also are authority figures. We have those that are ordained by God, parents and, and, uh, and uh, elders in the church and government. And, um, and we have all these different roles of leadership that the Bible lays out. And we know ultimately God is that authority figure for us and he represents all authority. And authority is given to us for a reason. It's a gift. We need it in our lives to give us direction. But sometimes we can have experiences with authority that can end up leaving us a little hurt, a little sore, right? Um, when I was in uh, grade school, I lived in Indiana, a little town called Winona Lake. My dad was in seminary, and there's a seminary there, and he was engaged in that process. And so I was going to a little elementary school called Jefferson Elementary, and we're the proud home of the Trojans, the Jefferson Trojans, okay? And so this was our team, and we had sports in grade school. And uh, one of the sports available to us was flag football. 
Now we played football on uh, the recess, you know, back when we had recess, we had recess, lots of recess. We played football for a lot of the recesses uh, at that time. And so I want to play football. So I think it was fourth grade was when I could get into football. And so I went out for the team. Well, Mr. Johnson was the coach. Mr. Johnson was a fifth grade teacher. He also taught science um, because in that era, there were four, two fifth grade teachers, two sixth grade teachers, and they each took a specific subject like math and science and history. And so uh, he, Mr. Johnson taught us science and he was the football coach. And I remember, uh, maybe it was the first week uh, of going to practice is I went to practice and we were learning and he was kind of teaching us just the basics, you know, the warm up stuff and different drills. And I remember uh, uh, what's important piece of this story is that one of those days, I got up and I didn't have a piece of homework done. And my dad said, you gotta finish that homework, okay? You can't go to practice. And so I missed one practice that week. Well, I show up uh, later in the week, I think it was the next day, and we're doing some exercises and some stretching stuff. And so the coach is taking us through some stretching things and all of a sudden everybody gets down on the ground, lays down, and they end up flat on their back and everybody's groaning, oh, you know, doing this stuff. And I'm laying there with my feet straight out Laying on the back, and I'm thinking, I lay on my back, I'm thinking, why are, is everybody groaning? And then I, it sort of occurs to me that I'm missing something, right? I don't know what's going on, but I didn't want to be pointed out, okay? I didn't want to be uh, noticed, and so I'm just laying there trying to be invisible. Well, you know, there's like, I don't know, 10, 15 guys, like I couldn't be invisible. And Mr. Johnson was paying attention, and he goes, Simpson, what are you doing? I said, I, I don't know, coach. He's like, yeah, you don't know. Why don't you know? Well, I missed practice, coach. Yeah, why'd you miss practice? I thought I had the right answer here because I had some homework that wasn't done. And Mr. Johnson said, oh, well, I understand. No, he didn't say that. So why didn't you get your homework done last night so you could be at practice like everybody else? Well, uh, you know, I felt like an idiot, right? Bruised my ego a little bit. I was a little, a little bit embarrassed when I figured out that whatever he was doing was, you know, this stretch, stretching their... Uh, you know, this muscle, whatever that is, right? Laying on your back, stretching, <laughs> thigh muscle. Anyway, so I figured out, but it was through a little bit of embarrassment. I got pointed out and identified and uh, it wasn't fun. But the truth is I wanted to play football and I learned the lesson, which was get your homework done the night before so you don't miss practice. And I don't think I miss practice again, but I've heard a lot of people having those kind of encounters say, ah, I used to play football, but the coach is a jerk. So I quit. Couldn't get along. It was mean. You know, whatever. I've heard those things all throughout my life. And I thought, man, not everybody encounters one of those situations and makes it through it and sees the positive in it. In fact, I know people that talk about those incidents from their childhood when they're grown adults. And so I know there's an issue here. These kinds of issues do stick to us. And I think why they matter is because ultimately they affect our lives because we end up oftentimes in some type of leadership role where we've got to help others. And if we don't have a proper view of authority, if we haven't processed through some of those hurts, we can end up carrying on some of those uh, bad behaviors and it ends up affecting how we lead when we have those opportunities. And so again, Samson, our Bible figure here today, has issues. He's rebellious against authority and I think we can discover some of the reasons why by looking at his story, maybe learn from him and get some help as to how to avoid some of these situations or work through them. Hurts from authority can cause us to rebel, kind of a natural response. And that can unfortunately slow down our growth, especially when it comes to our life, our spiritual life and our walk with God. The cause of 
the hurt can sometimes be hurts from imposed rules. Numbers chapter 6 gives us a little more detail as to the vow or the situation under which Samson was birthed. Remember that passage that talked about uh, to Samson's mom even to stay away from alcoholic beverages and gave instruction, he's not to cut his hair. All of that was associated with the Nazarite vow. And uh, Numbers chapter 6 gives us more detail about the Nazarite vow. It was instituted under Moses, and it was a way in which an individual, an, an adult, a man or a woman would make a commitment to God and would say, I'm setting apart my life a period of time. I'm going to be very committed to God, and it's for a specific purpose. The Nazarite vow was fairly intense. In Rome, uh, again, in number six, starting verse one, <clears throat> says this, then the Lord said to Moses, give the following instructions to the people of Israel. So this is coming from God. If any of the people, either men or women, take the special vow of a Nazarite, setting themselves apart to the Lord in a special way. So he then gives the instructions for the Nazarite vow. Here's a couple things it involved. They would abstain from any type of alcoholic beverage. And for them, that was primarily wine. Wine was a big part of their culture and diet. And, uh, and grapes were a big part of it. And so they were to abstain from wine. But not just wine. It goes into more detail. Also grape juice. So non-fermented, right? Grape juice. Also from grapes. Also from raisins. Also from the skin of a grape. <laughs> so they would have nothing to do with anything from the grapevine. So this was part of the vow. Second piece, they were not to cut their hair. And so for the duration of this vow, a Nazarite vow, they would leave their hair and it would grow out. Third piece is they were to have no contact with a dead body. Again, this gets pretty strict in that God says, listen, even if a person who has taken a Nazarite vow has a loved one die suddenly near them, they just happen to be around, Sudden heart attack, whatever, something happens. Their vow is cut short. They must go back to the temple, go through the process of initiating the vow again, shave their head and start over. And so um, it was a serious thing. This was a big deal. And so they were to avoid any contact with the dead body. And then lastly, as the vow came to a close, they would go through a special ceremony which involved shaving that hair off, offering it as a sacrifice to God. And so these were some pretty strict and stringent rules. Remember, this was the choice of an adult to enter into a Nazarite vow. And yet Samson is born into this vow. And he's born into these rules. Maybe you grew up in a home that had some strict rules. My dad was in training to be a pastor. <laughs> so we had some different rules than the rest of my friends, right? And I recognized that pretty quickly, <laughs> that I was living under a different set of rules. And uh, for the most part, I accepted it, and I kind of went along with it. I kind of uh, believed in those rules too. But there were times when there was a rub. And I certainly know my siblings uh, have different interactions and reactions to some of those things. Samson didn't love the fact that he was born a Nazarite and that he was expected to keep these strict rules. He had a problem with it. He resisted it. He pushed back against it. You know, I've met, as I said, many uh, throughout my life who went through what they would call strict, sort of maybe legalistic, whatever, upbringing, and there were some strict rules that were imposed on them. And oftentimes it does lead to some hurt. It does lead to some resentment or a negative uh, reaction. I've met parents that as a result of growing up in a strict home, they say, I'm not going to influence my kids at all. 
in terms of what to believe because I don't want them to be damaged and to rebel against it. And so they're going to figure it out for themselves. Again, that's an overreaction to what might have been a negative experience. But Samson struggles with this. And, and many of us do. And many of you probably know people that do. The things that we encounter as a kid can affect us for our whole lives. There's a story told of uh, George Bush, or uh, President Bush, the first one, uh, number 42, they call him, right? H.W. Bush. He was the, um, the father of George, who was the second one. Anyway, there was an incident where um, after disclosing that President Bush had banned broccoli aboard Air Force One, the nation was embroiled in a broccoli discussion. As broccoli growers dispatched 10 tons of the vegetable to Washington for free to try to influence the president in his position on broccoli. But he reinstated and reiterated his distaste for broccoli with gusto. He said, I don't like broccoli. And I haven't liked it since I was a little kid and my mom tried to make me eat it. And I am president of the United States now. I'm not going to eat broccoli. <laughs> I love this. He said, now look, this is my last statement on the topic. I'm not changing my mind. However, in my family, we're a little divided. He said, Barbara loves broccoli. She eats it all the time. She tries to get me to eat it, right? Not gonna, but she tries to. But since all this broccoli is headed toward Washington, I'm gonna send her out to figure out what to do with it. Listen, uh, these, these things, uh, it's a joke. You know, we joke about it. For me, it was zucchini. You know, you probably have some food that was forced on you, right, as a kid. I thought zucchini was gonna kill me. You know, I, it defies any reason. Zucchini doesn't really taste like much, but man, I got it in my head that it was a horrible thing. Listen, these things can stick with us. And even though this is, the food stuff is kind of a light issue, there are other things that have the same impact on us. And so we have to make some decisions as to how to engage these topics and these issues. Some of them we can laugh at, but others we need to figure out how to deal with. How do we overcome the real hurts that can occur from some of those things we experience as a kid. First of all, I think of this, and I've had to work through some of these things in my own life and still continue to in some ways. First of all, determine the source of the rules. What's the source? You know, the source matters an awful lot. For my parents, they believed zucchini was going to be an important part of me being a healthy kid, right? And they also wanted to teach me to eat what was on my plate. Those were good things. The source was good. My parents loved me. They're good parents. They didn't abuse me. They didn't treat me poorly, right? And so I could trust, even though I might have an issue later down the road, right? Why did they try to make, wait a minute, where, what was the source? My parents were good. They were trying to help me. You know, another source of rules that Samson encountered here was God is the one who imposed the rules on him. And when we know the source of the rules, we can maybe understand a little bit better where they were coming from, or at least not be so hurt by them. But you know what? Sometimes the source is bad. Sometimes the rules are wrong. And if they are, we need to be able to discard those things and let them go. Secondly, don't throw out the rules and authority, right, altogether just because you had a bad experience. Sometimes people move so far in that rebellious direction, they're like, I don't want any of that. Rules 
are made to be broken, right? And authority, they're all bad. And it's just like this full tilt move away from those things. But that's like throwing out the baby with the bathwater, right? You know that saying, rules and authority again come from God. They're established to help us, to help guide us. We need these things in order for us to remain healthy and to move in the right direction in life. And so it's important not to throw it all out because we had a bad experience or have been hurt by authority. Next, realize that you will most likely impose rules on someone at some point in your life. Um, And so it's the nature of things. And so to come to a healthy understanding of authority, to come to some peace with the things that may have hurt you from the past becomes really important because it's really hard for rebels to become leaders. (laughs) And yet many do. In fact, some ways it's, it's unavoidable. And if you go into being a leader as a rebel, you end up really causing a lot of problems. You have a hard time stepping into that authoritative position and actually helping others because they need help. (laughs) They need some restrictions. They need some guidance. And so it's important to come to a healthy place on that. Samson had these rules imposed again because God had chosen him. Listen to this. God had chosen him for greatness. The rules were imposed not to harm him, not to hurt him, not to restrict him from fun. It's because God had a purpose and a plan for him that was amazing. It was a high calling to be a protector of Israel, to fight against the enemies of God. What a high calling. And God equipped Samson. He was a huge man. He was powerful. And the spirit of God came on him. I mean, the man killed a lion with his bare hands. He picked up the gates of a city and carried them on his back for miles. The guy was huge. Killed a thousand people in one, time, in one sitting with the jawbone of a donkey. I mean, this man was an imposing force and God had selected him for a great purpose. I wonder, do you know the reason for the rules, the restrictions that God's asking you to follow is because he has a high calling for you. He has something for you to do that is beyond anything you could imagine. If you resist the rules, if you resist the restrictions, he may still use you as he did Samson, but it's going to cause problems in your life. Can we move to a place where we're not becoming, uh, yes, we may be victims, but we don't accept a victim mentality. The problem with that is it allows us to blame everyone else for where we're at, and it keeps us from doing the things that we can control about our situation. No one is helpless um, to change their situation in any way. And so being able to do that requires not accepting or taking on a victim's mentality. And God wants to protect us from that. So rules that we don't understand and seem unfair can cause some hurts. And those hurts can lead to rebellion. We can also get hurts Um, authority hurts from misunderstood resistance. Misunderstood resistance. Let's look at the life of Samson moving forward a little bit. He's a grown man. Judges chapter 14, starting in one. Let's read a few verses just to get a sense of where he's at at this point in his life. It says, one day when Samson was in Timnah, one of the Philistine women caught his eye. When he returned home, he told his father and mother, a young Philistine woman in Timnah caught my eye. I want to marry her. Get her for me. His father and mother objected. Isn't there even one woman in our tribe or among all the Israelites that you could marry? 
They asked, why must you go to, pagan, to the pagan Philistines to find a wife? But Samson told his father, get her for me. She looks good to me. It's a little creepy, to be honest with you. Hey, um, we can end up as creepy people when we resist what God's trying to do for us. We can. We can end up in a place. Samson ended up in a place as a man far from what was healthy and right. He knew he was powerful. He knew he could get what he wanted. He was used to that. And even when it went against what God's directions were for him, he was not deterred. He was going to press through to get what he wanted. That's the way he was living his life. And listen, I understand it. Samson didn't like being told no, and none of us do. Nobody likes being told no. Barbara Reed tried to get her four-year-old granddaughter to eat lunch one day when she was visiting her house, but her little granddaughter, um, Sabrina, replied the same way to everything that was offered to her. She said, no thank you, Grandma. Well, Barbara got a little frustrated, persisted, kept pushing until the little girl said, Nana, my mama says no means no. That might not have gone real great for Sabrina. But listen, we don't like being told no. And usually uh, we find a reason as to why we're right, that we shouldn't be told no. But the truth is, when God says no, it's for your good, it's to protect you. It is not to harm you. And yet so many of us, because of issues with authority, we start to feel like any no is just trying to stop us from getting to the place that we would really be happy. Samson was just sure this Philistine girl would make him happy. He wanted her, right? Probably a lot in a lustful way. He had gone to a place that was not, again, healthy or right. But his parents resisted. Maybe you've had some resistance by authority figures for a direction you wanted to go. You thought it was the right direction. You thought it's what you needed. And some leader said to you, no, you shouldn't go that way. Samson didn't like this, and he pressed through, right? He didn't listen. His parents just wanted him to marry a good Jewish girl, like God had told them to do. Again, there was a reason God said to marry within the nation and not to go outside to the pagan peoples, because he knew that if they were to marry the pagan peoples, those pagan religion and belief systems would infiltrate his people, and it would move them away from their trust in God and their faith in God. And so he's simply trying to protect them from a bad influence. And certainly Samson experienced this bad influence because of his determination to go against their resistance. A lot of Christian parents today want their kids to marry a good Christian spouse, right? It's what they pray for. It's what they're hoping for. Why? Well, because they know how hard it is to be married, how difficult it is to manage this in this uh, time, day and time with all the pressures. And they're like, listen, if you at least marry somebody that has the same values as you, the same beliefs as you, you're going to be better off. You're going to be better able to succeed. And that is all Samson's parents wanted for him. And yet, like Samson, a lot of good Christian kids grow up and especially girls and some boy pursues them, right? They fall in love. They're drawn in that direction and the parents see a mistake and have trouble accepting it and embracing it and even sometimes push back a little bit, which young people find uh, to be offensive and hurtful and all this stuff is going on. Same thing happened to Samson here in his situation. 
But the truth is, I've seen those scenarios work out actually in a really good way. Got some good friends uh, that we got to know in Colorado, and, and she grew up in a Christian home. He did not. His, his dad was a complete pagan. He had no exposure to Christianity. They met. They fell in love. They started living together. They got pregnant, right? But in the process of this, he came in to the church, and he started to be around her family, which is a solid Christian family. And over time, he came to Christ, became a leader in the church. And so I've seen these things work out, and we certainly see in this case, though Samson is resistant to his parents' desires for him, in Judges 14.4, we see that God's at work. It says his father and mother didn't realize that the Lord was at work in this. This is Samson pursuing this Philistine woman, creating an opportunity to work against the Philistines who ruled over Israel at the time. Uh, when I got to college, 18 years old, went to Bible college, and um, I met a young woman who I was very attracted to, and we had great chemistry, and pretty quickly we were spending a lot of time together, and our relationship was growing and growing, and here we are in Bible college, and a lot of people are concerned about those uh, quick relationships, right, that happen quickly, seem like they flame out quickly, there's no substance to them, but you know, we, we stayed together, and things kept growing, and, uh, and, and we're, we're coming along, right, we're in a four-year program, and I have this realization that we have made this covenant or this vow before God that we wanted to abstain from sexual intimacy until we got married. But I began to recognize that was going to be difficult to pull off in a four-year degree program. Okay? So I started to think, hey, we need to do something here. The Bible says something about getting married if you're having a problem, right? And so I'm like, let's get married. And so I went and talked to her dad, which was a, a giant of a Norwegian farmer. And I asked him if I could marry his little angel of a daughter. And fortunately he said yes. And so uh, we went back to school and we're sharing that we're going to get married. And all of a sudden, some of the leaders at the school, at the Bible college we were a part of, started to push back, showed some resistance. The dean of men, he pulled me in and said, listen, don't, I think he pulled us both in, don't get married until you finish school. Don't, don't, don't get married now. Wait. And we're like, well, wait a minute. We're trying to honor God here. We're we're trying to be obedient here and, and keep our vow and we're, we're moving in the direction we think God's telling us to go. And here we are getting resistance from an authority figure. And then Mary, uh, she played volleyball on the volleyball team. She was a fantastic volleyball player, all American. And uh, her coach said, no, you guys don't get married. Wait until you get done with, this, with, with school, finish school. Well, I didn't quite understand where this was coming from, but like any good uh, young man, I ignored them completely. We got married right? Between our sophomore and junior year. And uh, we got married and, and uh, sure enough, we came back and, and I finished school. I got my bachelor's degree and Mary finished uh, her RN degree and her nursing program. And I found out later that the resistance by these leaders was because they watched a lot of young people come into college and, and fall in love and go through that process and get married and then never come back to school. And they watched that over and over again. And so they had a, a rightful resistance to what we were doing, though I knew and Mary knew, well, listen, we weren't, we weren't going to be a part of that statistics. We were going to finish. And sure enough, we did. But there's times when those things, that resistance, can become a hurt. And Samson certainly experienced that with his parents pushed back on the direction he wanted to go. So how do we overcome this type of hurt at the hands of authority? Well, first of all, I think try to realize the motivation behind the resistance. Again, there are people that are just trying to maybe uh, steer your life. They have selfish motives. They might be trying to manipulate you, and that's their motivation in resisting the direction you want to go, perhaps. 
But I'll tell you, there's also good resistance. Those leaders at that college, man, they cared about us. And I could have got really upset. I was a little bit like, what are they doing? Why are they telling us what to do? You know what I mean? You get that reaction. But hey, listen, as you grow up and you mature, you go, wait a minute. I see where they were coming from. I know what they were trying to do. They were just trying to keep us on track so that we would accomplish and fulfill what they saw we had the potential for. And, and you know, it would have been a sad thing if we hadn't finished the courses we were, uh, we were engaged in because God used those in our lives. And so I understand that their resistance was coming from a good place. Secondly, don't let the resistance stick and become a root of bitterness. That's another thing we got to protect from. Sometimes we don't see the motivation. Maybe it was bad. And it can, then it can stick with us and become something that hangs on to our soul and our spirit and becomes a, a bitterness in us where we have resentment towards that individual for a long time, sometimes for years and decades. And it's just something that we need to root out and we need to be able to offer forgiveness and be able to move on from those hurts. Last, realize at some point, you will give advice to someone else and you might even try to control the direction that their life goes. You might press them really hard not to go in a direction you see as the wrong way. And so once again, life has a way of putting us in the situations that we've been hurt in and we're resentful of. And if we don't deal with those resentments and hurts, we can end up doing damage and really handling poorly those opportunities when we have an opportunity to lead. If we're not careful, we can be like the wife who was with the marriage counselor with her husband and she said, and then do you know what he did on our honeymoon just 21 years ago? We need to find a place of healing. You know, the gospel teaches us some really important things. It teaches us that we're all sinners. We all find ourselves in a position where we've hurt others as well as been hurt by others. And that's why the gospel is so powerful. Because Jesus the sinless son of God came to earth and he walked among us. Though he did not sin, the Bible says he became sin for us. And as he hung on the cross, as he suffered and died, as he shed his blood, as his body was broken, he paid the price for that sin so that the hurts that we have caused and that have been done to us so that they all can be forgiven. And the gospel teaches us about grace. It teaches us about forgiveness. It teaches us how to show others, uh, how, to get, how to soften our hearts a little bit. You know what happens when you want, uh, when you're holding on to these hurts, is your heart gets hard. And you don't have any ability to show grace. You just want just, you just get mad and angry and, and you just want to control things. You want to force people in a direction. And it's like, wait a minute, hold on. The gospel teaches us to soften our hearts, to be able to let others off the hook, even for things that they've done wrong, so that we can be set free. And this is an important lesson for us. Samson rejected the resistance offered to him, even though it came from a good place and by good motivations, even though it was from God himself. He rejected the Nazarite requirements. He did not embrace his calling. And this pattern that he stepped into and lived out of for most of his life ended up causing pain and bringing pain into his life. Because hurts come to us, right? Hurts come when we don't embrace authority, when we don't figure out the answer to these questions. 
In chapter 16 of Judges, we find Samson a little bit further down the road, having battled with the Philistines because of this, his first wife and, and the way that that situation went down. I'll let you read the story. But um, now we find him with a different woman, again, a Philistine woman. And um, Samson had an issue with women. It never got corrected. He just fueled it. But uh, this woman's name was Delilah. In Judges 16, 18, it says, Delilah realized he had finally told her the truth. So she sent for the Philistine rulers. Come back one more time, she said, for he has finally told me his secret. So the Philistine rulers returned with the money in their hands. Delilah lulled Samson to sleep with his head in her lap. Then she called in a man to shave off the seven locks of his hair. In this way, she began to bring him down, and his strength left him. See, Samson, because of his lust, uh, his desire, ended up with Delilah, visiting her repeatedly, staying with her. Well, the, Philistine, uh, the Philistines who hated Samson uh, wanted to bring him down, and they used Delilah to find the secret to his strength. And over time, he was wore down to the point where he actually shared with her the reason for his strength was the long hair. And so in this passage, she brings in um, an individual to cut the hair and with the hair went Samson's great strength. And the Philistines captured him. They gouged his eyes out. They put him in forced labor, grinding wheat, where he suffered. Hurt came into his life in part because of his resistance to go the direction God was pointing him. He wouldn't listen to God. He wouldn't listen to his parents. He lived the way he wanted. Now God still used him. God still used him. In fact, he used his base motivations, his jealousy, his rage, his anger. He, God used those motivations to accomplish the will that he had for Samson, but it didn't have to go that way. He didn't have to experience what he did at the end of his life where he was suffering and imprisoned. It's interesting as he comes to the end of his life and he struggles through it seems as though his time in captivity might have softened his skull a little bit. Samson was pretty hard-headed. And it might have brought him to a place of humility and understanding. And so often that is what's needed for us. That for us to discover and to get the right thinking about authority and about the things that have happened, the hurts that we have, so often what's required is we accept and embrace God's thoughts. On these things. God wants to teach you and me how to look at the world and how to think about things. And yet so often we don't engage God by getting in his word. We don't listen to the truth of God. We resist it and we resist it even when we hear it and we fight against it. And maybe part of the reason for that is we have an issue with authority. Maybe there's some issues in our lives that we haven't resolved. And that is why we struggle to accept God's thinking and to embrace it. Getting the right thoughts in our heads can be difficult. Six-year-old Molly complained to her mother that her stomach hurt. Well, mom realized that it was nearing lunchtime, and so she told little Molly, well, your stomach's empty. That's why it hurts. You'll feel better when you put something in it. Well, the pastor came to visit that night, and we're talking uh, around the living room there, sharing, and the pastor said, man, I kind of have a headache tonight. And Molly piped up and said, pastor, Maybe the reason you have a headache is because your head's empty. You'll feel better if you put something in it. 
hey, listen, sometimes we're resistant to the truth of God and to, to God placing his thoughts in our mind. And I know the answer for this is to, um, is to come to the place where we can embrace the truth of God, his perspective on authority. We can gain his perspective on even forgiveness and on grace and on mercy and those softer responses to hurt. And we need to do that because God wants us to be healthy as individuals, healthy as a church, so that we can engage his mission around the world. And I wonder sometimes if our hurts aren't slowing us down. We have a ministry here called Celebrate Recovery that started some months ago and um, made it through one, uh, one round. And there's some powerful life change that God has helped people experience because of that process. You know, it's just a discipleship process, but it engages specifically the area of hurts and hangups and habits. And, and when you engage God in these arenas, he will teach you and show you the way out, the way to healing. And there's powerful life change that can occur, and we've seen that. And as we've said, Celebrate Recovery goes on every Wednesday night. It's starting officially again in September. And I want to encourage you, to consider that opportunity. And as you do that, I'd like you to listen to one of the stories of Tess Miller who experienced some miraculous transformation in her life. So let's watch this video now. Hello, my name is Tess. For those of you who do not know me, I'm a grateful believer and servant of Jesus Christ. And I struggle with codependency. I'm sure many of you wonder what's codependency. For me, I believed that my identity and value was determined by the people closest to me. I'd become a rescuer by trying to manage and control someone close to me so that both of us could avoid the consequences of, of bad choices. I tolerated mistreatment to avoid the anger and anxiety associated with expressing my own opinion. I compromised my own beliefs, values, and integrity to avoid the rejection. And worst of all, I'd lost sight of my relationship with Christ because I was so overwhelmed with bitterness and regret. I had taken on a victim's mentality. As a child, starting at the age of seven, I would spend much of my days alone. My parents were working parents and were not home during the day. I learned very quickly to make my own decisions, how to take care of myself, and learned I was in control of my own world. As a young Christian woman, I had great hopes and plans for my future family. My first marriage ended in divorce after 12 and a half years of lies and infidelity. I lost my first child to a miscarriage during a time of very extreme stress. I remarried two years after my divorce, too soon to have worked through all the deception and the pain. I'd learned not to trust anyone, and I had become ultra-independent. One month after the wedding, my husband became extremely sick. It was during this process I became aware that he had an addiction to alcohol. Then, three and a half years later, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. The doctor's recommendation for me was to have bilateral mastectomies and chemotherapy. 2006 was a very tough year and very humbling. I lost all my hair. I had a new scar that reached from one side of my chest to the other. And for the first time, I had to depend on others for help. Now jump ahead about 13 years into my second marriage, and I am at a complete point of exhaustion. I've tried to manage the well-being of myself and those closest to me. I've tried to manage my marriage, financial obligations, 
and now the care of my elderly parents. I could not understand why God would not answer my prayers and provide me the help and love and the attention I desperately wanted in my life. You see, I'd gone through my entire life taking care of myself. At least that's what I believed. I was very lonely. I felt totally abandoned. And I concluded that I must not deserve to be truly loved. I was at a breaking point. I knew something had to change. So I took the first step and I reached out to a Christian friend who had been through some trials of her own. She encouraged me to visit her church here at Mitchell Brian. I wanted to be near other Christian women for encouragement and support. I went to the shape class just to relearn and find out who I really was because I had lost myself along the way. I became part of a women's Bible study to learn what it truly meant to be a prayer warrior. I finally reached out because I was at a point of utter, complete self-destruction. I believed every lie Satan had told me. I had learned along the way I could not trust anyone and that I needed to shield my heart from the neglect and betrayal and disappointment from those who were not there for me throughout my life. I was just surviving each day. I was beyond angry, bitter, fearful, alone, and yet prideful. I believed I was justified in blaming the people around me for my pain. I'd become judgmental of those who had hurt me, and I wanted to run away from the pain as far as I could. During this time, my husband and I separated. He went to treatment and worked on his sobriety, and I worked on my anger and forgiveness. After 20 months apart, we continued to struggle, and with almost a full year sober, he relapsed. I believed it was his way of rejecting me, and I was convinced he wanted out of this marriage. And honestly, at this point, so did I. So I filed for divorce. Just before my husband signed the divorce agreement, he stopped over to see me and asked me if I truly wanted to proceed. So I asked him if he had stopped drinking, and he said no. And I asked him if he had befriended new women in his life, and he answered yes. But no one means anything to me. But I closed my heart and would not listen. I just did not understand at the time. How, how can anyone... Can do, how can anyone want to reconcile marriage and, and still be doing these things? I felt rejected all over again, and I was hurt, angry, and said, it's over. During the next few months, I continued to pray for forgiveness and understanding. And I met with Pastor John a few times, and he re recommended a book called The Bait of Satan. I was reading through this book for the second time with a greater thought and introspection, I realized how hard-hearted I had been to my husband, how my focus was always on my pain and my hurt, how I could never let go, and I was the one destroying my own life, not my husband. My focus was always looking back instead of looking forward towards my Lord and Savior who, who died for me and had forgiven me. My life was no longer being used to glorify my Lord, but to only burden his heart. Who was I not to forgive my husband? Little did I know during this time, the Holy Spirit was preparing my heart for an absolute miracle. I spent much time in prayer and devotions daily. 
As I grew stronger and closer to my Lord, the forgiveness started to happen and my anger began to subside. Just days before the finalizing of our divorce on a Friday evening, I discovered that my soon-to-be ex-husband was on a date with another woman and my world completely turned upside down. I was devastated. You see, I had a plan. <laughs> Somehow, even if we divorced, we would end up together. If my husband would just realize that he needed to do what he needed to do and make things right. But that was not God's plan for me. God wanted me to be broken. He wanted me to recognize my part in the demise of my marriage. He wanted me to let go of my pride and my control. I needed to realize I was not God. He needed me to trust and depend on Him, not myself. I spent the next three days on my knees before God, pleading with Him to forgive me for trying to control every aspect of my life, for trying to be God, and to set me on a path of true faith. On the following Monday morning, on the day I knew that my divorce was to be filed at the courthouse and finalized, I managed to get out the door of my house and mow the lawn. While I was mowing the lawn, I heard the Holy Spirit say, It's time. Stop this divorce. I said, No. I don't ever want to go back to that kind of pain and rejection ever again. Besides, he will think I'm just playing games. He will think I'm crazy. I can't do this. And again, I heard the Holy Spirit say, Trust me. I replied, what if he does not want this? Then what? No reply. I realized if I was to be obedient to God's plan, I could not ever look back. My faith had to be fully in Christ, not in myself. Who am I to judge the plan of God? Still thinking I was crazy, I went in to call my lawyer's office, having been told the secretary would probably take the papers over to file over her lunch hour. And now it's approximately 11.30. The reply was, well, she has left for her lunch, and did I want to leave a message? I knew if that paper was filed, it was over for sure. I asked with great emotion to please send her a text message to not file the divorce decree. Approximately one hour later, I received a message stating she would not file it until she heard from me again. That day, I chose to trust the voice of the Holy Spirit put my faith fully in Christ and to stop judging my life by the world's standards. The verse I relied on heavily during this time was Romans 8.28. And we know that all things, not some things, all things, good and bad, work together for the good to them that love God, to them who are called according to His purpose. Clay and I were separated for two and a half years and we reconciled six months ago. For those of you who have been praying for us, thank you. The Lord is always listening, and miracles do happen.